Morning, everybody. It's an exciting weekend for uh, some some of our folks here. We had some graduates. So if you graduated um, yesterday or this weekend, um, then uh, would you stand? We'd just love to cheer for you and, and congratulate you in that. So I know I see one over here. A couple. Wow. Awesome. How's it feel? How's it feel? Great. <laughs> okay, you guys can be seated. Yeah, uh, first service, talked to one of the uh, one of the gals that graduated, and she was like, it was exciting, and then scary at the same time. It's like, uh-oh. <laughs> so, also we have a wedding tonight, so I'm excited. Brad and Jessica are getting married. Brad's in the back. He just threw his hands up. <laughs> He's excited about that. And... Uh, a couple that's part of our church family. She was in first service. He's in second because they're doing the, the tradition where you don't see each other until that first moment. And so I'm excited about it. That's one of my favorite parts of the ceremony, too, is when I get to, to see the, the groom's face when the, when the bride comes down the aisle. So I look forward to celebrating with you guys tonight. And uh, let's pray together as we uh, <laughs> let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this time. We're grateful to be here. Grateful for the work you're doing in our lives. Just that we get to, to be a part of um, what you're doing, God, in, in history and in this world. Lord, that you involve us in your plan and your purpose, God. That's a tremendous privilege. Lord, I pray that right now you'd speak to us. Lord, help us to have continued understanding of, of what you have to say in the Bible. Help us to um, be people who would be growing and, and responding to you. All of our lives. But Lord, today, the, would, you, would you show us something that you'd want us to do in response to your word? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, on Easter we began this series on looking at how, how to change. and it's, What does change really look like? And, and we don't typically just sit down and write out a list of what I want to change and then tackle it. Um, it's usually the tension in our life and the problems that we face that, that cause us to, to examine the need to change. And so... What we're doing is, since Easter, we're looking at this, this whole um, question of what does it mean to really change? And so, on Easter, we looked at how, and just to review, we looked at how God supplies the power for real change. The, res- the resurrection itself um, really is what provides the power for change. That's the source of, of any change that comes from us, is God's power at work in us. That same power that, God, that was displayed on raising Christ from the dead is still available to us. That's really the, the power that we need to tap into to grow and to change. And then last week we looked at how if we'll choose to cooperate with God, we have an individual role to play in this process of change. And we looked at the famous story of the prodigal son that Jesus told, um, where there's this son who wanders off, um, he squanders his inheritance, and he, he basically comes to a point where three things happen. He, and really these are the three ways we can cooperate with God is, he woke up. He came to a point where he woke up and he recognized, I'm far off. This path that I'm on, it's leading me to the wrong place, and I'm continuing to hit the wall. So he came to this place of waking up, and that's something we do as well. We can wake up and realize, wow, the, the road I'm on may not be leading to the right place. Um, then he owned up, and he took responsibility for his life and his choices. He didn't blame his, his circumstances and where he was at in life on anyone else. He took responsibility. He claimed, I'd sinned against God. I've sinned against my father. And he just, he, he, he owned up to it. That's something for us as well. We looked at the importance of owning up. And what does it mean to have 
godly sorrow, and what's the difference between the sorrow that you see in the world? What's, you know, we throw around the, the word, I'm sorry, so often. And so, what's the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow? We looked at that last week. And then this third um, part of him responding was, he shifted his weight away from himself and relying on himself, and he started, he, he received from his father the love and the kindness and the mercy that his father gave to him. That's the same for us. We can, in the same way, wake up, own up. Shift weight. Those messages are on our website if you want to check them out. But today what we're going to do is we're going to look at how the church, how our community of, of faith can play a major part in the change process. It's interesting to see how change kind of is sparked within a group of people. Um, how changes occur within small groups or even a group of this size. Um, you see somebody doing something or you see somebody wearing something or you see... you. You watch or you, you, you recognize that someone's listening to something or talking about some movie. And all of a sudden, that sparks this curiosity inside of you to want to check that out. And maybe you get caught up in that same um, interest. And I've seen this happen in some um, surface-level ways, I'd say. First off, I've seen this happen with uh, clothing. Uh, a lot of the guys in our church seem to be wearing plaid right now. And take a look at this photo from a few weeks back as... Some of the guys in our church were tearing down, and I think they all realized, wow, we're all wearing plaid. And so, um, you know, someone snapped a photo of this, and uh, change just kind of, you know, sweeps through the group. And uh, this can happen on, on other levels. It can happen with food as well. And when it comes to eating out, like, um, it seems like we go through phases. I know I do. I go through phases, and, and it's kind of like I listen. Where's everyone eating right now? And, and, and here's some of the places that I've enjoyed, and that it seems like here at OCC, others find themselves at these locations. Tony's is Mexican food place, In-N-Out, Southern California favorite, you know, Smoky Canyon. A couple of guys are nodding like, mm, yes, this sushi, you know. I don't know if you have lunch plans, but you might, you know, work it out, you know, figure out where you're going. Get some people and head out. I've gotten to know people at these places, but Food kind of sweeps its way through our church, I think, and, and trends in, in this. There's other things. You know, there's certain styles. There's music. There's, there's movies. That, but beyond the surface level things like food and, and what you wear, there are some areas that really matter when change sweeps through a group. There's more important things. There's more important issues. Um, this is what we're going to look at this morning, how God actually uses the church community to pull us towards growth and towards change. If you want, you pull out this listening guide. And that's, the, the church has this way, when I say a change community, what I mean by that is that the kind of group, that's the kind of group that pulls you, like the current of a river would pull you towards a direction. And it's a strong current that, that you feel when you step into a river. And, and you almost can't help but go with it if you put both feet in. You know, it's hard to walk against the current in a strong river. And so there's changes that God wants us to make in the church can be a changed community where there's you feel this pull. You can actually um, contribute to creating that pull to where others begin to move in the right direction. Um, there, these four elements we're going to look at. There's four elements of a changed community. These are from Paul Tripp's book called uh, Instrument in the Redeemer's Hand. And he, he lays out four sections. This is a really good resource. And it's kind of like a people-helping book. It's not just how to help others grow and fix their lives, but really how do I become the kind of person that can be a real help 
How can I receive the help that I may need to grow? And then how can I also be looking to be a help to others? But he describes these four elements that I want to just briefly show you. And then I want to show you a passage that really fleshes out how these things really line up for a, a church to be a changed community. So he says the first element of a changed community is, is that, that there's love there. If we're going to maximize change, then we need to belong to a group where we're accepted and where we can actually be loved. And then we can love other people. There's this, I can love and I can receive love. We tend to focus on being loved. We tend to, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I like to be loved by people. But if I don't love people back, then there's something wrong with me. If I only receive love and I can't, re- and I can't love people back, then there's something broken in, in me. Um, a reservoir that has no outlet, no, no uh, place for the water to flow out, begins to stink up. The water gets stagnant. In the same way, this is what happens if we don't love other people back, if we just consume and consume and consume. But if we find a group of people that really love us, and that we, meaning they look out for our best interests, and then we love them back, what happens is trust grows up in that environment. And we can grow up. Change can really occur in that place. So, he says this is the first important element, is love. And then second, he says, the second element is to know. We need a group where we can know other people and then we can be known by other people. More than just facts about the group they hang out with, or that this congregation, you need more than just facts, like, oh, they wear plaid and they like to eat at, you know, Tony's. You need to know what's on people's heart. Well, that's on my heart, food sometimes, but... There's deeper issues than, than the surface level. So what's beyond that? This can be scary, but people can only help us grow if we know, you know, our beliefs, our goals, our hopes, our dreams, what we value, what we really desire. Those are important things. We can't really encourage other people without knowing those things about them. And they can't encourage us. If we don't know a person's heart, we can't really encourage them at a heart level. Um, and if they don't know ours, then they can't really help us with what we need. Um, it's like a friend who sprains their ankle. And you call them up and say, hey, I heard you sprained your ankle. I'm going to go to the grocery store and pick up some food for you. So you go to the grocery store and you just start shoving stuff in your cart. You pay this bill and you bring it to him. And he, and he looks a little puzzled and, and you ask him, what's going on? And, well, I don't need any of that stuff. I've already got Cinnamon Crunch and or Captain Crunch, and Cinnamon Toast Crunch, and Fruity Pebbles, and Frosted Flakes, and, and I, need, I needed milk, <laughs> eggs, and cheese, and bread. And, you know, he comes, and he's like, but I got you all this, and it's like doubling up what you already had. You have all this stuff already. I mean, maybe that's your pantry, I don't know, but. And, and it's not really, it's doubling up on the stuff that, that we already have, and it's leaving out all the important items that I actually need. That's what can happen if we don't really know each other, is we start just responding or interacting in a way that's not necessarily the most helpful way. And so, if we don't really know each other, then, then there's no way to, to really encourage based on real needs. So we need to know. Then, to speak. This is the, four, the third element. We need to be around people who can bring God's truth to bear on our specific circumstances, and then do the same for others in the right kind of way. If we want to change and grow, then we must constantly be hearing and speaking God's truth. We need to hear God's truth in, in specific ways as they're spoken to us, and then we can receive it. We can actually be grateful for what God has to say as, as other people communicate that to us. The reality is we all have blind spots in our life. 
Everyone has a blind spot. And if you're in my car and I'm driving and I'm about to crash into someone that's in my blind spot, if it's a semi, you can scream, I hope. Look out! You know, stop! You're going to say something, I hope. Why? Because you're, you're concerned. There's something in my blind spot. My life, your life, maybe someone else in the car, our lives are on the line. Please let me know if, if there's something in my blind spot and I'm about to pull into that. In life, it's the same way. And someone who really cares about you will, will speak up. They'll say, hey, there's something in your blind spot right now. There's something going on that you don't see that you're heading towards that's dangerous. There's something that I can see in your life that I've seen a pattern of that it's, it's, it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt others. It's hurting me. Um, you see, someone who cares about you will speak the truth in love to you to help you see your blind spots. And, and you'll graciously do the same for them if you really love that person. And so this is critical again, that we'd speak. And then the last thing he says is to do. Insights are not enough to change. If we're just a location where we just share and then you're like, oh, that was an interesting insight for today. Good insight he made for today. And we go to lunch and we talk about the insight and, and then our life goes on. Then nothing really changes. We need to be people who are taking steps of action, responding to what God is saying in the word. When this group, when this church is made up of people who are actually taking action, then real change sweeps through. It starts spreading to other people. You start feeling that pull of change towards the right kinds of things. Again, insights are important, but they're only the beginning. We need follow-through. We need, we need to respond. And so here's a description of what this looks like in, in a passage of Scripture. This is in Colossians, um, where you see this, this whole flow of these four elements. And the quick backstory of the book of Colossians, and chapter 3 is where we're going to look from, verses 12 through 17. Colossians is written from Paul. He's in prison. He's writing this letter to a church in modern Turkey, and modern-day Turkey. And the, the, church in, the church that he's writing to, has they're dealing with false teachers. They have people that are propagating some wrong teachings. And so Paul, when you read the letter, you can read this great concern that he has for the purity of what they believe. And then the practice of how they live out their beliefs. He, he's very concerned with them that, they, that they're building on the right beliefs, the right doctrine. And so the first couple chapters, he lays out doctrine, and then he gets very practical in the next two chapters. But he explains in the beginning of chapter 3 of what it means to live a new life in Christ. And he starts talking about how the Christian life, it's, it's going to bring about changes. And he's trying to help these newer Christians to understand their role in the spiritual growth and the change. And so what he says is, as a Christian, you're going to have to, pull, you're going to, have to put off or take off these old ways. He calls it the old self. And so in the, in the middle of chapter 3, verse 5, on he says, you're going to put to death the, these, old, these old desires, the old self. And it's almost like he's saying, he's describing how you're taking off these, this old, outdated clothing. And he's saying, these are the old ways. These are the old strategies that you used to use before you lived for Christ, but, he, but those don't work anymore. And he describes this list of impurity, immorality, evil desire, lying, coveting, which is idolatry, anger, wrath, slander. He goes on and on about all these old things. He's like, just like an old outfit, he's saying, like, tear that thing off, get rid of it. Burn that stuff, in a sense. And then what we're going to look at is what he's going to tell us to put on. This is the new outfit to put on. This is the new self, the new, the new you, is what he's saying. So look at this passage. And you see these four elements. The first one you see is love. Okay, He says, put on then, verse 12, as God's chosen ones, 
holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Each of these things he's talking about, compassion, kindness, bearing with, all of these things, it's like articles of new clothing. He's like, put this one on, put this one on, put those on. He gets to forgiveness. He says, you know, put on forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is, is a hard, it's a difficult article of clothing to put on. It's difficult to put that on. It's kind of like when you're, you're, your feet are a little wet. It's hard to get socks on in the morning. You're like, dang, I can't get the stupid thing on. And you rip a hole in the toe because you shove too hard. And I don't know if you've ever done that. But it's difficult to put certain pieces of clothing on. Forgiveness is one of those. That's one of those new those new self things that are difficult to live out. And he goes on, he says, and above all of these, now he's about to say which is the most important. Above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. See, love is what holds the whole outfit together. It's what holds the whole group of us together. This kind of love means I choose to do what's best in another person's interests regardless of how I feel. I choose to do what's best towards you regardless of how I feel. We choose this towards one another regardless of how we're feeling. And when we love this way, the other things in this list flow from there. Because he says, love is what binds all these things together. This is where it all flows from is we've got to learn to love one another. And when I do this, here's what flows. He lists out these other things. If you back up in the passage, you see, he says, compassion flows. Compassion is when I see life from another person's vantage point. It's, if I'm constantly trying to get you to see things from my way, then I'm constantly frustrated. But if, if I will switch my focus to trying to see life from your vantage point, then that's really helpful. I can show real compassion. It's very helpful as a parent. If you're a parent, it's, it's easy to become a dictator and just bark orders. But if if, as a parent, will get down on their level and try to understand things from their vantage point, things from their view, what a difference it makes in their response of, of a child. But it's the same for one another as we relate to each other. If we'll, you know, gosh, that guy's he's sure a grouch. Gosh, he's always angry. He's, man, I hope somebody. Rather than, you know, waiting for a response towards, towards us, Trying to seek out, okay, what's going on from his vantage point? Taking some time to really listen. Taking some time to ask good questions. So difficult for us to do. Compassion. Then he says, kindness. Kindness is, again, it's, I'm looking out for your interests. I'm not just looking out for mine. I'm looking out for your interests. I'm trying to help you appropriately reach your goals. That's what kindness is. When we do this for one another, we actually can accomplish more. Humility is when, it's when I defer to you on matters of preference. We're going out to eat. We're picking Tony's in and out barbecue, sushi, and I'm like, I really want to eat barbecue, and you really want to eat Mexican food. Humility is deferring to another person with matters of preference and just choosing to consider them as better than myself. What, what fuels that is love. When he says put on love, which, which binds all this stuff together, the fuel to... To humble ourselves grows from a love towards someone else. Meekness. Meekness is strength under control. Rather than using all my strength to just squash people, 
I use my strength to help people. That's this, that's, see, Paul's saying, look, this, this is the clothing that really helps. This is the, the new kind of person that, that will create change in a whole environment. Patience, bearing with one another, forgiveness, out of love. Out of love. I don't just throw relationships away, but I hang in there. Even when it's difficult, eh? I bear with people through difficulty. That's what he's describing. This is an incredibly practical definition of the love that, that, you know, that describes the type of church community that we aim to be. It's a very, very practical definition of what we're aiming to be. And if we'll grow in these together, then this will be good for our families. This will be good for our friendships. We all benefit as we grow towards these. And what happens is we're pulled along in these ways. We, we, we start, all of a sudden, we start becoming more patient. Like, wow, I didn't realize. But we're seeing other people exercise patience. We start becoming more meek, more humble, and we're pulled along towards the right things because we're, we're, we're caught up in this move of the church community. Not just for superficial things like style and, and food, but things that matter, things that are rooted in the timeless truth. And so as we're being pulled towards the right things, man, what a difference that really makes. In this kind of group where love is found, we can trust one another. Then the next element is to know. There is not a specific statement in this passage about knowing, but I think it's the really the implication or the assumption through the through the New Testament. Certainly in this passage, there's the assumption that this group of people knew one another. Um, Christians were connected to a local church body. They weren't just floating around. They were connected somewhere. And the reason why is because the Christian movement was new and it was under pressure. It was under persecution and threat. And so the church relied on each other. They stuck together. They lived and did life together because, and they knew each other. They grew up, in a sense, like a family. And it's not that way any longer. We're all very, very independent, as in this country, especially very independent. And so what we have to do is we have to take specific steps to keep getting plugged into church life, to know people and to be known by others in the church. Look at the next one. Speak. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with with thankfulness in your hearts. Notice the content for what he says we're to be speaking or singing or sharing with one another. The content is the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And that spills over into what we speak to one another, to how we respond and relate outwardly to one another. My opinion does not matter as much as God's does. My opinion, our opinion doesn't matter as much as what God has to say, and so we need to be careful to speak God's truth into one another's lives. This takes practice. We get better at it as we take it in, as we let the Word of Christ richly dwell in us, as we spend time relating to God through the Bible, as we listen to what He has to say, as we read it. And then as we're soaking it up, we're living it out in our lives, we could begin to share that with others. Then do. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. See, the goal, the way that we relate in the church community is that we would have a changed life. Whatever, whatever we do is more and more and more what Jesus would do in the same circumstance. God's trying to conform us into the image of His Son. And so... The test of real change is that it's making a difference in the way that we live our life. That we're responding. That we're responding in obedience. That we're doing. 
I want to show you the video, the, the third and final part of this video we've been tracking. Um, some just brief sharing from one of the guys in our church, Eddie Esparza. And he's shared the last two weeks just kind of about what it was like to become a Christian and then some of the changes that God began to make in his life. And then in this video, he's going to be describing how the church community has helped him grow. And some of the, you can catch glimpses of these four key elements in what he's sharing. So let's take a look. Early on, God was challenging me to trust him, trusting him that he would provide some good uh, friends, uh, good Christian friends. As I've been around community and people who know me really well, um, there's opportunities for me to be challenged in a lot of ways. Um, you know, people who you're closer to, they get to see, you know, you're good and bad. And, uh, and when you're... Um, when you're doing life with people, um, you know, you, you can't hide. You can't hide. Uh, you have to be honest. Um, and so a lot, of, a lot of the times in those um, relationships, things will come up where you have to face some things that you might have avoided before. Where you can avoid them, um, you know, in other relationships, it's not, not as close in a, as, as in a community. <laughs> In the work environment, a lot of times there's a different kind of attitude of uh, just kind of everybody fend for themselves, and that falls apart pretty quick. With people I really love and care about, um, those they've spoken truth into my life, and as they've uh, just identified certain things, certain patterns that they've seen in my life, and I actually have grown to really appreciate that. Uh, part of that is also correction. Um, I. Um, I love words of affirmation, and so, <laughs> so I did not really appreciate correction before, and I, I've grown to really appreciate correction because I know that it's coming from people who really love me, the community, people I'm doing life with, that really love me and are looking out for me, and uh, and they want to see me grow. They want they want they want um, to see me honor God, and they're honoring God by the way they're. They're treating me in the way they're correcting me at times. He's pretty much covering these four different areas. You know, you can kind of see all love, know, speak, and do in there. He, he and that's not that's not something you just it doesn't show up overnight in relationships. Um, it takes effort on our parts to be known, to begin to love people, to to receive love, to speak into people's lives, to to li- you know there there's time and trust that needs to be developed in this. Um, but what the Colossians passage is really describing for us is it's people who are making certain commitments that the Bible calls, uh, it's described by a word in the Bible called koinonia. In English, we, we say fellowship. What it's describing is fellowship. There's these four elements. is a church where there's true fellowship. Fellowship is a mutual reciprocity that exists where I know you and I'm known by you. I serve you and, and, then, and then you serve back. I give, I'm generous to you, and then there's this generosity back. I, I care for you, you care back. This is the types of relationships that, that Paul is describing. He's saying, look, the old self, that's that old outfit, get rid of it. It was so self-serving. It was just all about us, just all about me. He said, the new self 
is very, very concerned about one another, very concerned about the unity. If you read through that passage again, you'll see a great deal at the end about unity. See, God wants the outcome of our involvement in the church community to be there's a strong pull towards a life that really pleases God. There's no formula for this, but it's a commitment that we should be giving and receiving within the church community according to the needs that are actually here. And as I wrap up the message, I want to give you two specific ways to play our role in the church community. As individuals, one, to be honest and appropriately open. This actually is one of our heart attitudes. This is one of our core values at OCC, is that we're living an honest and open life before others. And This is where we commit to live a life of integrity in how we relate to one another. We're not encouraged in the Bible to, to, to be transparent and just gush out all of our problems to everyone. So don't hear me saying that, oh, if you really want to do it right, then you're just going to be an open book about everything in your life. That's, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't say that everyone here, you need to know everybody. You need to write it on your name tag, what you struggled with this week and where you're struggling. And, and you know What this is saying is that some people know you. You're known by some. And you know some. You're getting to know people. And, and they really know not just what's on the outside of, of how you present yourself, but they know the real you below the surface. Um, and integrity is where what's going on on the inside is, is matching what I'm presenting on the outside. And so we work to just keep, you know, we're, we all need growth on the inside. And so we work to continue to, to match up what's going on, on the inside with what we portray on the outside. And when we live a real life, when we share with what God is really doing, there's this, um, there's this honesty that pulls others towards honesty. If someone's sharing about how they're stressed, how they're tired, how they're sick, how they're depressed, how they're just beyond hope, then what that does is it promotes and it pulls others towards opening up in their own lives. Wow, he, he or she, she's, wow, I can do that. I need to be known in the same way. He seems to be growing and getting the encouragement that he needs. God has used many people time and time again in my life who have just been honest about the fact that they're tired and stressed out and they keep going. That's, that's been extremely encouraging to me when I'm tired and stressed out to know others are in that place and they keep battling through it. So that's the first thing. Be appropriately honest and open. And then second way God can use us is to avoid being like Yoda, the master teacher. Avoid needing to be the one who's ultimately got all the answers and you know, God is the ultimate change agent. He is the master teacher who shows us what needs to change. And so, within church life, we recognize God can use us to help people change. But our motivation needs to be that I want to please God as He works in me. That needs to be my primary motivation, that I please God as He works in me. My primary motivation should not be to be a people changer, but that I would be the one, you know, changing myself. And the more I live life with people up close... Um, the more that, you know, whenever we do that, whenever we're up close with people, the more you can see their, their problems. You can see their imperfections. I cut myself shaving right under my nose today. I was bleeding horribly this morning. And I had like a big cotton ball or toilet paper stuffed in it as I walked up today. And then people were like, did you cut yourself? <laughs> and I, yep, I sure did. Well, when you live close to people, when you do life with one another, then we begin to see these things about one another. Frankly, we all have them. We all have our imperfections. We all have bad attitudes at points. We all have lofty expectations on others. We can have snarky comments. 
can all have just streaks of being rude. And, and so we have our imperfections, so don't be afraid to just do life with people closely because we all have them. When someone shares a problem, you know, it's okay. They, they're being open and honest. We don't have to jump on them and try to fix the problem. We, don't, we have to avoid being the master teacher. When we focus on changing others and trying to get people to do what, what, what we want them to do, then we become like a people repellent, and they start backing away from us. And so instead, we need to do our part, focus on, God, what do you want to change in me? Not on just what others need to do. Ultimately, though, over time, here's what we find. We find out that what God does within us becomes the way that he wants to work through us. It flows out of what God is doing in us. He does allow us to be part of the privilege of helping others grow and change, but it's really, he first works in us, and then we're able to be a, a, a help to other people. I hope this has been helpful to you as we've looked at these past three weeks about what does real change look like. I want to invite our band our worship team to come back up and also our ushers to prepare to receive the offering this morning. And if you take out that connection card, we're just going to wrap up by looking at a couple of ways to respond this morning. Here are some suggested next steps. These are primarily focused on how you can move toward the community here at OCC. Um, As we move towards the summertime, it's easy to drift away. It's easy to get disconnected. As people go on vacation or schedule changes, and, and, and I know some people vacation a lot in the summer, and I would say enjoy it. Enjoy your downtime. Enjoy your vacations. Uh, but in the midst of that, the downtime, consider these next steps. Um, the first one is take steps to get to know people at OCC. Maybe even today or before you head on your vacation mode, start getting to know some other people. Take initiative to connect. Circle which one maybe best represents you. Take initiative to connect or accept an invitation to connect. If you're a member of our congregation, I would say, would you take the responsibility upon yourself to, to greet new people, to, to let, other, let others uh, find their way into the congregation by uh, taking initiative with them? And so I would encourage you to, you know, honestly, some of the best ways that people have gotten to know one another is, is through going out to lunch and doing things like that. And so I would encourage you to take initiative with things like that. And then B, accept an invitation to connect. If people are Trying to get to know you, that may be a big risk, but accept that invitation. I'd encourage you on that. And then last, be open and honest with someone at OCC. Just maybe that's the step that needs to be applied in your life. Let, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you again for your word, and thank you that we can continue to build our lives on it. We can trust it, trust what you say is true. And pray for that. I just pray for each person here, Lord, that you know our needs. You know what we're facing right now. You know the the holes in our life and in our plan. And God, we recognize that you've designed the church community to be a place where healing would occur, where help would uh, be found, where growth would happen. Lord, I pray that this place would be like a river, pulling that we would pull hard in the right way towards the right things. Pray for those that are on the fence of taking that risky step of being known by others and getting to know people. Lord, I pray that you you continue to urge them in that direction. Lord, you know all of our needs, and we thank you that we can we can trust you, God, to grow us. And I pray that as we grow, we would 
Open our eyes more and more to see the people around us in our lives that you've placed there intentionally to be part of. Help us, Lord, to buy up the opportunities you've given us in this way. Also, just pray for our offering, Lord. Pray that you would use it, multiply it, Lord, to allow us to do more for your kingdom work. In Jesus' name we pray.